temper, temper. Aha! It is the Gribble Nation Roadcast, fueled by Anchor FM. And you're listening to Dan in this episode. Very sorry that you have to settle for me once again. I wonder what the hell Doug and Adam and Tom are doing. I mean, we haven't heard much from them lately. I should send out a search party or something to see what happened to those guys on the podcast. I think Tom is about to go on vacation somewhere, and it might be also the case for the other two guys. But uh, with me, I'm here to talk about a vacation that I took uh, not too long ago, late May, early June, out to the beautiful states of Colorado and Utah. There'll be some other states that we mentioned in passing along the way, too, but Primarily this trip, which was executed from May 27th through June 5th, 2022, was focused on those two states, Colorado and Utah primarily. I also made inroads into other states that we'll briefly mention, such as Wyoming, Nebraska, and Montana. Um, This was a very interesting trip to say the least. Uh, I covered a lot of ground, and um, I'm very excited to talk about it with all of you. Uh, The thing that I suppose we should start out with, let me get my notes out here. You know, it is a a lovely Sunday morning as I'm sitting here in my uh, beautiful undisclosed location. I have my morning coffee here. I thought I would sit down and do some podcasting uh, this morning before starting out the rest of my day. And I suppose I'm in a bit of, you know, uh, an interesting mood this morning because I was just looking through the uh, the Facebook groups on uh, our beautiful road enthusiast community. And there's stuff about, you know stupid memes and there's you know google street view nonsense and you know all the greatest hits that this community has become known for unfortunately recently you know all this all this other nonsense and uh so i'm i'm in a bit of a mood this morning but also i i should just point out that i can't talk about this on the air but there was something that happened uh towards the end of this trip that I'm going to walk you through and talk about some of the highlights uh, with you guys. Um, There's something that happened near the end of this trip that really just soured the whole thing. And I I can't talk about what it is. And there are reasons for that. And there are are really good reasons for that. Um, But just know that, you know, this is not really a trip that I want to talk about too much. Just because I I'm so I was so done and over with this trip before I even ended it, um, but for the purposes of historical preservation and documentation and all that BS, I'm just gonna do this episode, and uh, so that's that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this together. 
that is my introduction to this trip. We will be back with the daily summaries and a whole lot more. We'll talk about um, the places that I covered, the roads I covered, some of the highlights, some of the landmarks that I visited over the course of this trip, and we'll probably touch on a lot more stuff too. It's all coming up right here on the Gribble Nation Roadcast, so stay tuned. Cheese. Sunday morning. You know, what a beautiful day outside. Beautiful day. Every day is a beautiful day. You know, I've never had a bad day in my life. I've had some challenging moments along the way, but can't ever say I've had a bad day, though. You are listening to Just Passing Through on the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Let's talk Denver. Let's talk Colorado and all that good stuff. Um... The first day of this trip was May 27th, so we automatically, before I even left town, we had a change of plans. So my original plan was to fly out from Newark, New Jersey, nonstop to Denver um, in the evening of the 27th. Uh, I received an email the night before from United Airlines. Um basically telling me that you know we you don't have to change your flight but we really recommend that you change your flight you know it was kind of one of those emails uh and this was because of inclement weather that was forecasted for the following day the 27th um so being the proactive engineer that i am i took them up on that and i switched to a flight earlier in the day which departed newark on time for two o'clock eastern the weather in New York was partly cloudy, humid, low 80s, thunderstorms in the area. Um, by the way, the the weather forecast really didn't pan out the way that they thought it would. The, the weather, the meteorologists on this really swung and missed. But, you know, it's very rare that they ever hit a three-run home run as it is. So, left New York on time, arrived in Denver around 5 o'clock mountain time. Um, conditions in Denver were mostly cloudy, highs in the mid eighties in Denver Metro, uh, thunderstorms out in the mountains to the West, but it was dry in the Denver area. I should also mention that this was the first flight that I went on, um, since the removal of the federal mask mandate on airplanes. Um, I know that at the time like in the month of May, there was still a lot of chatter about that, you know, because it was no longer a mandate. So people had the choice, right? Um, I'm not going to tell you what I did, but I will say that it was probably about 50-50, masks on versus masks off. Um, it looked like all the staff on these flights were masked. So I don't know if these airlines are still keeping that in place, you know, due to private business rules and all that. But yeah, all right, enough talk about masks. So picked up my rental car at the uh, rental car center, and I had a couple hours to um, 
do some driving that I wasn't planning on having because, again, I was expecting to get into Denver very late in the evening on this day. So I got in instead in the mid-afternoon. So I did some driving around. Um, really, this was Denver Metro was the focus of this day and the following couple of days. Um, and so we can talk about you know the roads of Denver really quick. Um, it's the confluence of three mainline interstates. You have I-25, which runs north to south. You have I-70, which runs east to west. And you also have I-76, the western I-76, which begins in Denver and runs off to the northeast into southwestern Nebraska uh, by way of Fort Morgan and Julesburg, Colorado. Um, I spent a lot of the first day of this trip, you know, out in the eastern suburbs. So I drove the, uh, the Northwest Parkway Toll Road um, and the E-470 Toll Road, which is an eastern bypass around Denver. Uh, those two roads, plus the State Highway 470 Freeway, uh, all combined to form a three-quarter loop around the Denver Metro, which was originally supposed to be a full beltway around Denver. Um, intended to be signed as Interstate 470. Um, the full beltway never happened. Over the years, the three-quarter loop that we see today has taken shape. Um, there have been schemes to build the Northwest Missing Piece around Golden and up to Broomfield, um, but nothing has ever come to pass, and I don't expect anything ever to come to pass, at least not in the near future. Um, so Denver really is missing a critical belt, uh, bypass component in its Northwest suburbs. That would be very useful actually. Um, but anyway, because the E470 and Northwest Parkway are toll roads, they are relatively light trafficked, especially on Friday afternoons. So I focus my efforts on the Friday afternoon on those roads, um, just to get those out of the way. And then on the Saturday, the 28th, um, the next morning, um, got to work on the stuff in Denver itself. So covering, for example, I-25, um, uh, I-225, which is the only auxiliary interstate of I-25. Uh, this is a kind of a freeway. It's, it's not really a bypass. It serves the southeastern quadrant of the metro, but it runs through the city of Aurora, which is a pretty large city is in its own right um between i-25 and i-70 um there's i-270 which is part of a northern inner bypass of denver when you combine 270 with the westernmost segment of i-76 um there's that freeway there's also us-36 which runs on a freeway between i-25 and the city of boulder that was originally built as the Boulder Denver Turnpike, which was a toll road built in the 1950s. Uh, it hasn't had tolls on it for many years, but it's now a uh, pretty sizable freeway with uh, tolled express lanes and all that, all that good stuff. In fact, there are tolled express lanes on uh, segments of US 36, as I mentioned, and also on I-25. Um, there are toll lanes being built on I-70. Um, as part of what's being referred to as the Central 70 project. So what that project is doing is it's removing the original elevated structure um, 
through what's the name of that neighborhood um illyria and swansea in those neighborhoods uh north of downtown denver and it's replacing the old elevated structure with a, a cut and cover tunnel um the tunnel is capped with what will ultimately be developed as green space and it will unite the neighborhood that was severed uh, by the construction of the freeway back in the early 1960s. That project began several years ago. It is now in its final stage. I believe Colorado DOT is planning on having all of the lanes um, for I-70 in the tunnel complete by Labor Day 2022. So when I documented it, if the project was mostly completed, um, there were still some there's still some work to do on the tunnel before they can switch all the traffic over into its final configuration. But as I said, that should all be done this year. And as part of that project, there are express toll lanes being implemented and being built into I-70 between I-25 near downtown Denver and Denver Airport. Um, a lot of the infrastructure for that is already complete. The earlier phases of that contract uh, were completed a couple of years ago. So that that has all been in place for a while now. But it's interesting to see the final configuration of the road, at least further east out towards the airport. Uh, so you can get a kind of a sneak peek of what it's going to look like once it's all uh, open to traffic. So documented 70 across town, uh, 25 through downtown. It's an interesting ride. I mean, it's it's not... It's not one of the better urban drives, I would say. It's it's not very, it's not too exciting. I mean, you go past downtown at a distance. You do go past Mile High Stadium, which is, um, which is an interesting looking building, I will say. Um, and you know, you have the interchanges at I two twenty five. There's a four level stack at E four seventy, actually at both ends of E four seventy, both south and north of town. Uh, actually, my favorite view of the Denver skyline on I-25 is when you're coming south out of Thornton and you go down the hill, <clears throat> excuse me, down the hill towards the junction with US-36 and I-270, and you got a nice distant view of the skyline a few miles ahead of you. Um, that's a nice picturesque scene. Yeah, I mean, Metro Denver has a lot of those picturesque uh highway scenes of course it helps when you have the rocky mountains just to your west but there are also some other nice views that don't involve the rockies as well um so the weather on may 28th was mostly to partly cloudy highs in the mid 80s um more of the same on sunday the 29th although it was a bit chillier it only got up to about 70 in denver um and there were showers in the area especially north of denver um, so I covered all the stuff in Denver itself. And then on Sunday, because I wrapped up all my coverage of Denver somewhat earlier than I expected, I decided to head north into Southern Wyoming because that was another part of the, uh, trip that I wanted to knock out. So I took I-25 north out of Denver and took that up past Fort Collins where there actually, there's another very lengthy project underway on I-25 about 20 miles worth of road construction uh, where they are adding express toll lanes to 25 through Fort Collins. Um, I don't know. It's possible that there's a long range plan to link up those toll lanes with the toll lanes in the Denver area, but that's a, that would probably be a very long range um, project. 
Um, so it took 25 up into Wyoming, um, up into Cheyenne, which is the state capital of Wyoming, uh, to get some documentation up there. I also drove I-80 west from Cheyenne to Laramie because I wanted to document the highest elevation point on I-80, which is at the Abraham Lincoln Memorial Monument at Sherman Summit, which is at 8,640 feet, I believe, something like that. Um, it's a few miles east of Laramie. So if you're heading out in that direction and you want to see the highest elevation point on one of America's longest interstates, well, that's that's where it is, just so you know. Also, I can't visit Cheyenne, Wyoming as a road enthusiast and not document the curious case of Interstate 180, um, an interstate that is signed on a boulevard with traffic lights. Uh, that basically happened because of a uh, backroom deal, I suppose, between Wyoming politicians and the Federal Highway Administration. Um, the FHWA actually rejected the original proposal for the full limited access um, I-180 that was originally proposed, and they approved the downscaled version that we see today. Um, and so that's that's the very short version of the story. I won't bore you with all the details, but there's a lot of stuff that you could read about the, the genesis of that project over the years and how it came to be. So that was all I did in Wyoming, and that's really all I came to do on this trip. Um, I should also mention before we move on from Denver that I did uh, fully clinch the Western I-76 as part of this trip as well. That, again, takes you out into southern Nebraska, so that's how I was able to add Nebraska to my list of states visited. I'm now up to 45 states. Um following this trip. So the new states that I added on this trip were Colorado, Nebraska, and Montana. We'll talk more about Montana uh, later on in this episode. So that is Denver out of the way. That's Wyoming and Nebraska stuff out of the way. And that's the first, really the first three days of the trip out of the way. Um, so I think with that, that's a good time to take a voice break and we'll continue on with our discussion of Colorado as we head down into Colorado Springs and then ultimately west towards Utah. That's going to be next. Cheese. back here needed a quick voice break sometimes it's a little hard for me to get going on sunday mornings you know i do have my coffee here so that's helping maybe some of you are wondering when this podcast episode is going to get going but i'm going to do the best i can here and we're going to keep talking about colorado highways at least for a little while before we transition to other things um so day four may 30th um clear skies in central colorado mid 70s for highs partly cloudy but that wasn't really the story of this day um i had originally planned to go west from denver into utah on this day however it was snowing on i-70 up in vale pass uh which was causing complete havoc on that stretch of i-70 so 
I figured I might as well just delay my trip by a day so I can work on some stuff south of Denver. So that's what I did instead. I headed south on I-25 in the morning um, to Colorado Springs and Pueblo. Um, Pueblo, by the way, has an interesting stretch of urban freeway there on I-25 that I wasn't expecting to find as scenic from an urban point of view as it was. It was actually very interesting. Old freeway. That's probably early 60s engineering right there. Early interstate system. Um, But the bulk of the day was spent in the Colorado Springs area. Um, And so you have I-25 as it comes down past the Air Force Academy and through uh, the city of Colorado Springs. Um, It's the only interstate in the area, I-25. There are other major highways like US-24, State Highways 21 and 16 form a partial bypass to the east of Colorado Springs. Um, US 24 also heads west out of uh, the city, out towards Woodland Park and western Colorado. Um, But yeah, so I got all that stuff documented. And then probably the highlight of the day easily was my uh, documentation of the Pikes Peak Highway, which rides the entire mountain up to its summit above 14,000 feet. Uh, It is a toll road. There is an admission fee. I do not have the number in front of me. I do. You you have to actually purchase tickets ahead of time for a timed slot each day. They only let a certain number of vehicles up at a given time. So you have to pick a time of day and you, you have to make a reservation online. Um, so I did that and, um, it was a beautiful experience, uh, to get all the way up there and, uh, stop at various overlooks along the way. Um, I believe the highway is about 20 miles long from the, uh, the entrance gate to the summit and from about mile 13 or 14 on up, you're above the tree line. So that last six or seven miles is just spectacular. Um, and there's, as I said, there are many different places along the way where you can pull off and see the, the views and, and all that. It was a clear day, so, you know, you could see easily about 100 miles in any direction. Um, the summit itself is uh, gorgeous. There's a visitor center there. Um, you know, I made sure to raid the gift shop for my mom. And uh, by the way, I should mention that the Pikes Peak Highway... Um, was has existed in some capacity since 1915 however it was only fully paved finally and by the year 2011 um so the fully paved highway to the summit is still somewhat new compared to how long the highway has actually been with us um the other thing that i should mention is that it's still late may so you have plenty of snow above the tree line um on your drive up, which is quite another interesting component to the experience. Um, and again, cause you're at 14,000 feet, uh, you go from a temperature in the mid seventies at the base of the mountain to on this day, the temperature at the summit was 27 at the summit. So make sure that if you're going this time of year, make sure you pack, you know, an extra layer of clothes cause you're going to need it as you get further up the mountain. Um, so did the Pikes Peak Highway, got that documented. That was a lot of fun. Uh, made it back into Colorado Springs later in the afternoon and then headed back north. 
into Denver. Um, the fifth day of the trip, May 31st, was the day that I finally got to go west on I-70. The snow had cleared out. Uh, the road was passable, and there weren't jackknife trucks all over the place. So I headed west on 70 um, across Colorado from Denver um, to Grand Junction and then ultimately east or west, rather, um, to uh, Cove Fort where the interstate ends at I-15. There's a lot of stuff that I could say about this stretch of highway. I mean, that this could be a, a podcast episode by itself, but um, there's no shortage of highlights. Like it, from the second you leave Denver to the end of the interstate in Utah, it's 500 miles of just nonstop incredible scenery. Um, some of the highlights that I will mention, uh, Vail Pass, um, is a very beautiful stretch of highway. There's also the Eisenhower Tunnel at the Continental Divide, which is the highest elevation point on the American interstate system, I believe. It's over 11,000 feet. Um, so that's another spot worth checking out. The, the section that everybody talks about with regards to I-70 and the scenic stretch of it is uh, the stretch through Glenwood Canyon. Um, it is as beautiful and as spectacular as is advertised. Uh, it is an incredible engineering achievement that, that they were able to build that highway. I mean, it really is a miracle that that road exists. Uh, it, it's one of the most beautiful stretches of highway in our country. Um, and that's really all I'm going to say about it. Cause I mean, there's not much else to say about it that hasn't already been said. It's, it's spectacular. Um, and then you get to Grand Junction and you leave the Rockies when you get to Grand Junction and then you get out into the more, you know, the higher plateau and desert, you know, areas of eastern Utah. Um, I stopped in Green River to get gas. And the reason that's significant is between Green River, Utah and Salina, which is a distance of a little over 100 miles on I-70. There are no services. There's no gas stations, restaurants, any of that. There are exits. There are interchanges along the way, but there's no access to services. Um, I had enough gas to reach Salina, but I figured at that point, you know, I'd be a little more comfortable if I was doing this trek on a full tank of gas. So I, I uh, made sure to top off the tank in Green River. I should also mention about Green River really quick while we're here that there's a lot of old neon signs in Green River, a lot of old hotels. It's kind of a blast from the past in a way. It's, it's kind of a little community that's frozen in time, you know. Um, I know that Doug has talked about Green River in either blog posts or podcast episodes in the past. And he's, he's completely right in his assessment that it's, it's one of those locations that's really interesting from a roadside archaeology standpoint. Um, so if you're in the area and you're into that kind of old stuff, you know, Green River is a, is a treasure trove of stuff that you might find really interesting. So after that, I explored Green River a little bit. I got back on 70 West and headed towards Cove Fort. Um, this part of the interstate is very famous for the, uh, San Rafael swell that you cross over about 10 miles West of Green River. Um, and there are other very interesting moments in the interstate as well but that's that's the one that people talk about the most 
And then it's a very uneventful drive from Salina onto Cove Fort from there, where you reach the western terminus of I-70 at uh, I-15. So once I got done with I-70, I took I-15 up into um, northern Utah, um, revisited some areas around Salt Lake City that I wanted to document, like some of the construction on I-215 east of Salt Lake. Um, So I took care of some of that before continuing north. Um, up into Idaho, I followed I-15 the whole way, um, ultimately making it as far as Pocatello on this day, um, the 31st. Um, the weather on this day was relatively tranquil, mostly to partly cloudy skies, uh, across Colorado and Utah, uh, tranquil temperatures, ranging from the low 70s to the mid 80s in northern Utah. There were showers in the area in southern Idaho, but it wasn't too big of an issue. The following day, more of the same weather-wise. Warmed up into the mid 70s in uh, northern Utah. Uh, It was chilly in the morning, only in the mid 40s in southern Idaho. Um, Mostly to partly cloudy skies, showers in the area again. Um, as we're now into June, this was June 1st, day six of the trip, picked up where I left off in Pocatello and started off by heading north on I-15 into Montana so I could grab another new state. Also, I wanted to document the lone signed auxiliary interstate in Montana, which is I-115, which if you blink, you might miss it. It is only about a mile long, and it's basically a glorified extended ramp connecting Interstates 15 and 90 with the south end of downtown Butte. Um, It's interesting in that that highway was originally part of, it was part of the original interstate system that was drafted in the early, in the mid 1950s. So it was not tacked on later. This was, this was a planned uh, short freeway spur from the mid fifties that was, that was built and it's it's there i mean it, it's not it's not very interesting but it, it is there and if you like clinching interstates then it's something that you're probably going to have to visit at one one time or another so after i got to butte on uh i-15 and 115 i retraced my steps back south through idaho montana and northern utah on this day um again covering i-15 from end to end along that stretch Got to uh, Provo and Spanish Fork early in the afternoon, and at which point I decided to uh, add some coverage of U.S. Route 6 between Spanish Fork, Price, and Green River. Um, This is another one of those stretches of highway that Doug has talked about in past episodes. Um, It's it's a bit of an interesting... uh, it's an interesting and varied trip. You know, the, the northern segment of it between Spanish Fork and Price has a lot of mountain scenery. There are a couple of mountain passes in there. Um, and then once you get outside of Price and head towards Green River, it opens up and it's more of like an open desert kind of feel to the to the drive. But um, because there is no interstate directly connecting Denver or Green River with Salt Lake City, um, this drive along us six is really the main route for traffic between western colorado and salt lake um so it is a very important highway um 
and it was good to it was good to kind of go off the interstate for a bit and add some new coverage that I wasn't originally expecting to get to on this trip. But uh, nevertheless, that was a good addition. Um, stayed in Fillmore, Utah, for the for the night, which was home to the original state house from back when Utah was still a territory. And you can visit the territorial state house in Fillmore. Um, there's a park and there's a museum and there's some exhibits outside and it's probably something I would have explored a bit more if I had more time, but, um, nevertheless it is there and it is, is perhaps worth a stop if you're interested in Western territorial history. On to June 2nd, where I picked up where I left off in Fillmore, Utah and continued south to the St. George, Utah area to complete the coverage of I-15 in Utah. And this day was also significant in that I visited Zion National Park. I uh, clinched Utah Highway 9 between oh, the uh, Washington and the Hurricane area and through the park itself and out to Mount Carmel Junction. Um, the Zion Mount Carmel Highway is one of the most scenic stretches of highway in Utah or the Mountain West in general. Um, certainly was on my to-do list for a number of years, and I'm glad that I was able to do that. Um, it was hot in Zion, too. It, it, it heats up in a hurry. It got up into the mid-90s uh, mid with clear skies on this day. Um, but, um, yeah... Zion National Park is as beautiful as they say it is. Uh, it's a gorgeous place to visit. Um, again, if I had more time to do some more hiking than I actually did, I, I probably would have done so. It, it's a beautiful place to spend some time and take in, you know, what what are some of uh, this country's most spectacular um, scenic overlooks. So. After visiting the park, after finishing covering Utah Highway 9, I headed back into Colorado via northbound I-15 and eastbound I-70. Um, made it as far as Grand Junction, Colorado on this day. So we're back in Colorado. With this day's coverage, I completed all of the objectives that I had for this trip outside of the state of Colorado. So we've talked about Nebraska and Wyoming already. Um, this day I wrapped up everything that I had planned to do in Utah, Idaho, and Montana. So from here on out, it's all just Colorado stuff for the last three days of the trip. And we'll be back after this newest, newest voice break to uh, talk about the rest of the trip, and I'll have some final thoughts as well. It's all coming up, so stay tuned. Cheese. All right, random thought here as we come out of this voice break. So get ready for a little bit of a segue here. Um, I think that peak road enthusiasm as a hobby was about 10 years ago. So in the year 2022, as I record this, uh, I think somewhere around 2012 is when we hit peak status 
as a as a hobby and as a road enthusiast community. Um, you had a lot of people contributing a lot of great original content. You know, Adam and Doug have been in this hobby forever. They've been visible going back over 20 years, I think. Um, yeah, guys like Steve Alpert, who's still visible today, but he was, you know, in his prime back then. You had the guys at AA Roads were very prominent. Um, I, however, was just starting out. You know, I didn't, I started my channel in 2012, 2010, rather. So I'm, I'm still, I consider myself pretty young in the, in the road enthusiast business, even though I've been in it for 12 years now. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that the peak of road enthusiasm was back about 10 years ago because, you know, you had a lot of a lot of prominent people contributing a lot of great original and intriguing content. And it was, you know, everywhere, you know, you could go. It wasn't so much on Facebook. It was primarily still on websites. You know, you could go to everybody's website and everybody had their own, you know, thing that they were doing. And it was all great, you know. Um so I, I I really believe that's the case. And ever since then, it's really gone downhill with social media taking hold and with, I don't know what it is. Like a, a lot of the mainstream people who were active back then are no longer so active. Uh, I think that's part of it. Uh, and also, I, I don't know what to make of this new generation of people who are now so prominent in the community. You know, there's a lot of clickbait there's a lot of memes getting shared on these groups. You go to some of these groups and it's just like, you know, why do you even bother with your time? Like they say that they're, you know, for road enthusiasts and road geeks, but they're they're really for clickbaity nonsense. And then, you know, you get the posts with the people who, you know, post Google Street View, you know, stuff and they cherry pick off of everybody else's work and they get a bunch of clicks. And meanwhile, you know, I post stuff for the Gribble Nation page, you know, Adam does, Tom does, and we barely, and we barely get even noticed, you know, so the, the, the landscape of the hobby has changed a lot in the last several years. And I would argue not for the better. Um, you know, people are now more interested in the cheap click instead of actual substance. And I don't know how we fix that, you know, Gribble Nation is primarily a blog site, and it, it always really has been at its heart, I think. Um, you know, they're going to have to, we're going to have to find a way to adapt, I think, in the future. Because, you know, people don't really care about substance anymore. They care about the quick, you know, ooh, look at this sign, or let me show you this Google Street View nonsense, you know. Um, that's what people care more about nowadays. They, they care about the cheap entertainment rather than the deep substantive discussion. And I don't know how Gribble Nation will adapt in order to stay relevant in the conversation in the years ahead, but I do think that there is some sort of calibration of our mission statement that's going to have to be necessary at some point, if that is what we want to do, if we want to continue to be relevant with the audience. Um, you notice that in the groups that I administer, you don't see any of that crap. You don't see any of the Google Street View nonsense. You don't see memes getting shared around. Why? Because I think it's stupid. 
and it's cheap and it's really not necessary and it's it's immature and it's lame uh so you, you don't see that stuff in places that i uh have a grasp on the content um you know i on my roadway with page i've always tried to be educational in my presentation of material i really think that i excel in an educational environment if i wasn't a civil engineer i probably would be a, a teacher of some sort um because I, I like I like teaching people stuff that they may not have known about any subject, you know, whether it's you know road related or not. I, I've always had a passion for that. So, you know, I've always tried to implement an, an educational format into my discussions and into my posts. Um, I also know that there has to kind of be a place for that cheesy post every once in a while. And so I one of the things that I've done with my own page is I've, I've started to kind of implement some of that stuff as well, just cause you know, I, I also know the landscape of the community. It's not, you know, people aren't as into the, the substance anymore. So I've started to go down that route a little bit. It's not, I don't think it'll ever be a, a key component of what I do, but um, it is something that I, I really try to tease folks with every once in a while. So that's what I've done to kind of keep up with the times. I don't know what Gribble Nation is going to do as a whole in order to keep up. But as I said, I do think that some sort of recalibration is in order at some point. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about that, other than to once again let you know that Google Street View is stupid and should never be used as a main crutch for you making your argument in a Facebook post. Um, get out and travel this country like I have. You know, go out and see these places firsthand before you start, you know, blabbering on about stuff you don't really understand in a Google Street View post. Okay. And you know what? If we had living, breathing administrators in these groups, this wouldn't happen. You know, we wouldn't have this nonsense all over the internet. But, you know, unfortunately, administrators don't want to do their job. You notice that when I'm an administrator and in my groups, you don't see that crap. So, you know, just saying, you know, get some people who actually give a damn about the substance to run these groups, and then this won't happen. Okay. That's all. Rant over. We are back to talk about the last three days of the Colorado trip. Um, picking up where we left off on June 3rd, day eight. Um, partly to mostly cloudy skies in western Colorado. Uh, temperatures ranged from the mid-50s in the morning in Grand Junction to the mid-80s in Denver. Uh, the highlight of this day by far was the completion of three significant mountain passes. Uh, Independence Pass, which is Colorado Highway 82, east of Aspen. Um, Berthoud Pass, which is US 40, between Empire and Winter Park. And Loveland Pass on US 6, uh, above the Continental Divide, above the Eisenhower Tunnel, east of Silverthorne. Um, Independence Pass is widely regarded as the single most amazing mountain pass in Colorado. I I don't know exactly where I stand on that just yet because I haven't been able to drive all of them. I mean, there, there's so many different mountain drives in Colorado I would have liked to have done. 
um, but I just didn't have the time. In fact, one of the ones that I really wanted to do, um, that I had plans to do, I couldn't do, uh, the Mount Evans Highway, which takes you... Um, I believe it is the highest point in the Colorado State Highway system. It's Colorado State Highway 5, which goes all the way up to the summit. That highway was still closed due to late season snow. Um, so I couldn't get to that one, but I got to pretty much everything else I wanted to get to on this trip. But like I said, you know, Western Colorado, even Southern Colorado, too, has a lot of great mountain passes that, you know, it would have been impossible for me to get to in a single trip, even if I had wanted to get to a lot of that stuff. Um, so Independence Pass, Highway 82, really the whole length of Highway 82, starting eastward from Glenwood Springs all the way out to Aspen is a very pretty drive. And then the pass itself, east of Aspen out to US 24, it's very isolated. It's only open between, say... Memorial Day and um, certainly Labor Day. Maybe it, it's open a little bit into October, but it's usually closed by early October. Um, in this uh, season, it did open in time for Labor Day weekend. So the pass itself had only been open for about a week uh, by the time I got to it. That's a beautiful, isolated mountain drive. It is the quintessential Colorado mountain drive, I would say. Um, definitely, uh, worth checking out, um, in the process of retracing my steps back to Denver from Grand Junction, I redrove all of I-70 eastbound. Um, so I got to experience the Glenwood Canyon section again. I got to experience Vail Pass once again. Interestingly, it was snowing on Vail Pass a little bit as I, uh, went over the summit. Um, it was reaching the ground as, I guess, technically rain, but it looked like those were big, uh, snowflakes that were melting as they hit the windshield. So I, I think we were getting a little bit of snow there at about 10,000 feet, but, um, got over Vail Pass, no problem. Got past the Eisenhower Tunnel, no problem. Um, as I said, Berthoud Pass on US 40 was the next one that I drove. That's... That's another one that's, it's there, it's off the beaten path, and it's a it's a nice drive. You know, I, I, I don't think it's as scenic as Independence Pass is. And I can say the same thing about Loveland Pass on US 6, which was the other one that I covered. Um, you know, they're both really nice drives. And because of their location and their strategic importance, uh, those two passes, uh, Berthoud on US 40 and Loveland on US 6, those tend to remain open for the most part year round, uh, except in cases of heavy snowfall or whatever. Um, the Loveland Pass especially is important because it is the bypass of the Eisenhower Tunnel for either overheight vehicles or hazardous material vehicles that are both obviously banned from the tunnel itself. So traffic traversing that section of I-70 between Vail and Idaho Springs has to go over Loveland Pass instead of staying on the interstate. So that is a big motivation for having uh, Loveland Pass open year-round. Um, regardless of the weather, just make sure that you bring your chains if it's snowing, because Colorado uh, Highway Patrol definitely enforces the chain rules 
uh, during the winter months. Um, so got back into Denver Metro in the afternoon of the 3rd, and I was back in Denver for the rest of the trip. Um, the 4th, the June 4th, June 5th, the 9th and 10th days of the trip were very similar weather-wise. Partly cloudy skies, temperatures in the mid-80s. Um, these days were devoted to sightseeing and some stuff off the road that I had wanted to do. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to do, you know, I'm, I may be a road enthusiast, but I'm also a Titanic enthusiast. And I visited the Molly Brown house in Denver, um, which was the resident of, which was the residence of one of the most famous survivors of the Titanic disaster, Molly Brown. Um, and there's a lot of Titanic related memorabilia on display there, um, it's right near the Colorado State Capitol, actually. If you visit, if you're familiar with uh, Denver, it's it's not too far away from that. Um, also, the first ever Quiznos sub location is actually within a couple blocks of the Brown House, uh, and you can check that out as well. Um, on the Saturday night, I went to Coors Field to take in uh, a little bit of baseball. I added Coors Field to my list of ballparks visited. Uh, the Rockies didn't do me any favor by winning. They, of course, lost. They were playing the Atlanta Braves that evening. Um, I did get some free baseball out of it because the game went to the 11th inning. But um, it was a good game. You know, the Rockies came up on the short end, unfortunately. But... Uh, Coors Field's a beautiful ballpark. Uh, it's, it, it immediately became one of my favorites that I've been to at the major league level. Um, they really did a beautiful job with building it where they did, right in downtown Denver. And um, they've done some work to it in recent years that's really enhanced it in a lot of ways. Um, there's a section out in right field called the Rooftop that has, it's all open air bars and, you know, stands and restaurants and stuff like that and that area was full the entire game i mean the stands were roughly two-thirds full but the rooftop was the rooftop area was full the entire uh game so you know clearly the people who envisioned that area of right field as an entertainment spot were spot on with uh what they what they got out of that one so um yeah, Coors Field definitely gets high marks from me as far as a uh, as far as uh, a nice ballpark is concerned. And that was really the trip. Um, again, I mentioned the weather on June fifth, the Sunday, uh, clear and tranquil. Um, good weather for flying out of Denver, which I did. I caught a mid afternoon flight. Um, Got into Newark, New Jersey late on the 5th and drove into work on Monday the 6th as if nothing happened. Oh, hey, I missed a week. What did I miss? Well, I didn't miss too much, apparently. So that was that was the uh, trip to Colorado. Here are the totals for this trip. Uh, about 4,800 miles driven. Um, enough new material for my YouTube channel to last another several months or so. So that's good. Um, 
It was all around just a good, solid trip. You know, usually I take the week-long trip in July or so, but because things are really quiet for me on the work front, uh, I decided I would kind of push that up a little bit because I'm not really sure what's going to happen with me professionally uh, in the summer months. So I, I took advantage of the quietness around the office to uh, take the week off now and uh so get the week-long trip out of the way a little bit earlier this year so i do have some more trips coming up uh later on in 2022 and they should also involve some new areas as well and uh, i'm sure that at some point we'll be talking about it so that is gonna do it here that is it for me on this episode of just passing through on the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. You can check out our blog at gribblenation.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever the heck else Doug and Adam and Tom decide to post to on social media. Um, I'm sure that you will be hearing from me again at some point in the not-too-distant future. That I-70 podcast episode idea sounds really good now that I think about it. Maybe that'll be my next episode. I don't know. We'll have to see. I'll have to get in line because I have a I have several different ideas for episodes I want to put together for you guys. But uh, anyway, I'll figure that out off the air. But uh, thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening to the Gribble Nation Roadcast. And I hope to talk to you again real soon. Take it easy. Thank you for tuning in to uh, an episode of the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Uh, We hope uh, you get to listen to us again soon. Have a good one.